I want you to open your Bibles with me tonight to Psalm chapter 30, Psalm chapter 30, and uh, the message that God has laid on my heart. I want to welcome those that are joining us online as well. That's part of our extended church family. God bless you for uh, joining us online, and uh, we appreciate There's so many of you that join us every week and watch us on our different platforms, and we sure do appreciate that. Uh, Psalm chapter 30. And uh, when you find that, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And we're, we're actually going to read the entire psalm. It's just 12 verses. And then uh, we'll go back through and take a look and see at what it has for us to hear tonight. Psalm chapter 30. If you got it, say amen. amen. And this is what it says. I will extol thee, O Lord. For thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought my soul, brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye his saints, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness, for his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. I want to draw your attention to the last verse of this psalm. It's important. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to who? Thee, to God. The title of the message tonight is, In the End, God Gets the Glory. You may be seated. In the end, God gets the glory. Now, uh, this psalm does have an inscription, and, and at the top of this uh, psalm, you'll see that it says, A psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. Now, there are some people that think that this is looking forward prophetically to the temple that's going to be built by Solomon later down the road, but I'm going to take it at face value as being at the dedication of the house of David. And as we're seeing this, we're, we're realizing that as we look at this psalm, that this is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise to God. It is a song of remembrance. It's a song of remembrance. See, David is rejoicing and remembering the blessings and the deliverances of God in his life. In fact, if you noticed, I don't know if you noticed, but this psalm doesn't say anything about his house actually at all. It doesn't say anything about the palace that he made other than the inscription says it was for the dedication. It's because David had something better to talk about than his new house. 
David wanted to talk about the Lord. So David, at the dedication of, a, of his new palace, all he wants to talk about is God, how God brought him through, how God brought him through to that day where he was to dedicate this new palace that he had. He wanted to talk about God instead. I think it's interesting that God's people, we've been blessed so much, and David was blessed so much. And we should spend more time talking about our Savior and less time talking about what we want him to give us. We should spend less time talking about how God should give us this or that or how we have this or that and more time talking about our Savior who gave us everlasting life. So David is giving God glory. That's what this is about. He wants to give God glory. This psalm is all about giving God glory for what he's done. We sang about that just a moment ago. For what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do in the future. How many know that God has exciting things planned for the future? God has wonderful things planned for his people. Now, as we get into this psalm, I want to give you a little bit of history. Uh, not a long, boring lesson, but I want you to know what's going on here. I want you to understand what's happening. See, this is a time of new beginnings for Israel. This is a time of, uh, of new beginnings for not only David, but the nation of Israel. See, David is finally coming into the fullness of God's calling in his life. David has been on the run. He's been a fugitive, and he's finally coming into the fullness of the calling of his life. Uh, it's been at least 15 years from the time that Samuel anointed him to be king until he finally became king over all of Israel and Judea in the unified kingdom. And now that's happening around this time, and that has been a long, long road that he walked. If you remember, I, I jotted down just a few things. In that time, he experienced war and isolation and heartbreak and loneliness and sorrow and he was hunted like a wild animal by King Saul, if you remember that. And so you're thinking, sign me up, David. That sounds pretty great. No, not quite. That was a hard time. But how many know that God protected him and sustained him all through those years? God was with him. God was helping him. And how many know when God has purposed to do something in your life, when God has purposed that something is going to happen, when something is in the heart of God to do, there is no devil in hell. There is no person walking on the face of this earth that can prevent God from accomplishing his purpose even in this world today. God is in control. Our God is sovereign and powerful. And though the enemy constantly pursued David, they wanted to destroy him. Before he even got started, God said, no, that's my man, and I am going to keep him, and I am going to prevent his enemies, and I am not going to let his enemies take control over him. Hallelujah. That makes me excited thinking about that. God, if he has purposed something in your life, if he has called you to do something in your life, I want you to know that you you can, in fact, do it. And David is proof of that. You haven't had to face many of these things. None of us have that David had to deal with. I've never had a spear thrown at me yet. I don't see any in the room, so we're good. Maybe another night. But this was a new beginning. So we, we kind of talked about David had a hard start. He had a, a tough time getting going. I've had cars that have been a hard start before. You know, you, 
You push them down the hill and you pop the clutch and they die before they get up the top of the next and you're stuck in this thing, you know. I've been there and the neighbor said, hey, you need some help? Yeah, unfortunately. But David had a hard start. So those were long years, but God was preparing. He was molding. He was teaching David to, to, uh, to trust him, teaching him to, to learn to walk with him, teaching him to rely on him. And God was bringing him into a place. So now God was going to give Israel this new beginning. God was giving Israel a new beginning. And David was going to get to, to finally do the things that, that God had called him to do. King Saul was dead. There was a civil war that had been going on during this time. There was a lot of fighting. There, the nation was, was uh, they were at each other's throats. And finally, it's all coming together. God was bringing it all together. And the civil wars come to an end. And King Saul is dead. And there's a unified kingdom. And now it's a new day for Israel and a new day for David. And really, this was the golden era. You know, King David followed by Solomon. I mean, this was the day to live in other than the future day when Jesus comes back to rule and reign. That that's the next big day. But this was the day. This was exciting times for Israel. Now, I want you to hear what it says about this in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. I want you to hear what the Bible says, because it's going to bring us back to our psalm here. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. There it is. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. So David is the king, the nations come together, and then this, this uh, Hiram, king of Tyre, he sends people over and they, and they build David a house. And this psalm that we're looking at is talking about the dedication of the house of David. Now, David understood three things, uh, and I want you to understand this. Uh, I, I noticed David Guzik had pointed this out, and I think it's helpful to understand. David understood three things that we see in this passage. Number one, the Lord had confirmed him king over Israel. The Lord had done it. David understood the Lord had done it. Number two, the kingdom belonged to God. It didn't belong to anybody else. It was God's to give. And number three, God was blessing him because of his people, Israel. That's what the verse says. It says that, that he realized that God had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. So God was going to use David as a conduit to bless his people and his people as a conduit to bless David. Isn't that amazing? That's how God set this up. So now we come to the dedication of the house of David, which he doesn't even say anything about in this psalm, which I think is hilarious but also important because he wants to talk about his God instead. So the dedication begins with a declaration of praise and thanksgiving. Look again at our text, Psalm 30, verses 1 through 3. Listen, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. 
Now, when we read that just now, did that make a little bit more sense to you? Did that have a little bit more life to it? When he says, he says, you have kept me alive. You've not let me go down into the pit. You've lifted me up. You haven't let my enemies triumph over me. He was saying, this is a big day. And what's happening, I think David is looking around and saying, it's almost too good to be real. He's probably pinching himself like, is this really happening right now? As you think about all the things that he dealt with and all the difficulties and, and, and struggles, see, David was making a positive declaration. He's saying, I will extol the Lord. I will praise his holy name. I will lift him up and I will give him glory because I remember where I came from. I remember where I was not that long ago. I remember when my enemies said, he'll never make it. We're going to take him down. I remember, but I remember that my God said, I will make it. Hallelujah. So he gives us three reasons for his thanksgiving and praise. Look at this. You ready? Number one, God gave him victory over his enemies. That's there in verse one. For thou has lifted me up and has not made my foes to rejoice over me. David, David's enemies wanted to kill him, but God preserved him. It's amazing when God's on your side. What a blessing. You don't want to be on the wrong side of God. But when God's on your side, you're in good shape. Number two, God had answered his cry for healing. Look at that in verse two. He says, O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast what? Healed me. Now, we don't know exactly what incident he's referenced. Some people, some commentators think that he had actually a very grave illness like Hezekiah at one point. They thought that he was sick to death and he was just about to croak. Some people said that that may be the reference here. I thought about it a lot and we don't really know what the circumstances are, why he's saying you have healed me. But then I thought about, wait a minute, David was a man of war. David was a man of war. Now war is always ugly and awful and terrible. But when you think about war back then, there's lots of stabbing and cutting and poking and like, it's really, really barbaric. And you're thinking about the way that they would fight and battle back then and the weaponry that they used. And I think there was probably many times that David needed a good healing. Maybe he was wounded. Maybe there were severe infections that had come up. Maybe there were some very difficult things that were happening to him. And I think there was probably many, many occasions where David said, I can't go another day. I'm done. I really can't do this. And, and David says, he says one thing right here. He says one thing we know for sure that thou has healed me. So we may not know exactly the incident. We may not know exactly what, what, what time frame he's talking about. But one thing we do know for sure, David said, I needed healed, and I cried to God, and God healed me. Because God wasn't going to let something prevent his man from moving forward. What's an illness to God? No big deal. God says, I'll take care of that. So number two was that he answered his cry for healing. You know, I love that verse in Psalm 103. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. 
God hadn't changed. We still serve a God that heals. He heals physically. He heals mentally. He heals emotionally. He heals in every fashion that we may need. We still have a God that heals all our diseases. And David said, let me testify. If you don't believe me, I cried to the Lord and I needed healing and God healed me. Hallelujah. David experienced it so he could testify about it. Now, we're talking about three reasons that he's giving to praise the Lord. And number three is God saved him from death. Preservation of life. That's a good thing. It sure beats the alternative. Verse 3, he says, Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. See, God preserved him over and over. Death, I mean, he was right at the door of death many times. Maybe through sicknesses like we talked about, through people trying to kill him, through different things that he dealt with. In fact, if you remember at one, t at one point when he was on the run, when he was a fugitive running from Saul, he told Jonathan, he said, there is but a step between me and death. David was on such, he, he felt like he was walking such, a, such thin ice, he said, just one step. Any step in the wrong direction, any step that I make in the wrong direction, there is only one step between me and I'm out. But isn't it amazing that the Lord will direct our steps? And all those years, David said, there's one step between me and dying. And God says, that's okay. Every step you take, I'll tell you where to put your foot down. It's like we're walking through a minefield in this world, and if we'll listen to God, he'll say, each step, no, don't, no, not that one, not that one, that's the one you want right there. We have to be careful to hear what he's calling us to do. We have to be careful to go in the way that he says, because if we make the wrong decision, there's all sorts of consequences that can happen, and God is saying, I will direct your step. I will give you a light unto your path. I will guide you with my word. That's what God does, and that's what he did for David. He guided his steps. Now, God has done similar things for us in another way through Christ. Think about it. Jesus lifts us up out of the pit of darkness and sin. David said, you, you lifted me up above my enemies, above my foes. And, and Jesus, he lifts us up out of that pit of sin, and he delivers us from our enemies through the work of the cross at Calvary. And not only that, but as he's delivering us, he heals us spiritually because he gives us a new heart and new desires where we love righteousness and we want to do the right thing. And he heals us in that way and he gives us everlasting life so that we will not go down into the pit like David was talking about. That's what Jesus does for us. So we have that victory over our enemies. We have the victory over sin and death through the cross of Jesus Christ. We get that spiritual healing, and he's given us a new heart with new desires, and he's preserved us, and he's given us that everlasting life. See, church, the finished work of Jesus at Calvary is sufficient to defeat every enemy, every foe, every battle, every sickness, every pain, everything that may come against you. One thing is sure. God has preserved his people from going to the pit. He has reserved for us a place in heaven that is incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away. It is reserved in heaven for us. God has done that for us. 
So what does David do in light of these things? He's calling God's people to praise God in verse 4. Look at it again. Verse 4, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. He's issuing a call for people to praise God for who he is. Now, he's going to give them a little bit of instruction. He says, he says I want you to praise the Lord. He says, I want you to sing unto the Lord, O ye his saints. It's a beautiful thing when the people of God come together and we begin to lift up our voices in one mind, in one accord, and we begin to worship the king of glory. We begin to worship the God of all creation. We begin to worship the one, Jesus Christ, who went to Calvary, and we sing of the blood that he shed, and we sing of the cross where he bore our sins and our death, and we sing of the fact that he took the stripes upon his back, and he took our grief, and he bore our sorrows, and we sing about the fact that he went into the tomb, but on the third day, he rose again from the grave, victorious over death. We sing of the redemption plan of God and we rejoice and we sing in truth and we sing knowing that God is worthy of every praise both now and forevermore and David says you remember the holiness of God you remember who God is you remember what he's done and if you can't remember let me tell you what he's done for me that's what David is saying He's saying, if you've got nothing, let me give you something. Let me give you some instructions. Hallelujah. We sing his praises because he's worthy. We sing, him, we sing and we give him glory. Not only that, but he says we should be giving him praise with thanksgiving for who he is. He says, give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Holy is to be separate, it's to be apart from. It, God is, is altogether different from us. You realize that? God is altogether different from us. He is holy. He is separate. He is righteous. He is, he is thrice holy. He is, he, is, uh, he is amazing and incredible. He is everything that we are not. And, and he says, I want you to give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness because this is the creator of the universe. This is the God who, who spoke the worlds into existence. This is the God who, who cares about you, but he's still, he is that thrice holy God who's separate and he's altogether different. And I want you, he's saying, I want you to think about the fact that he is everything that we are not. I can't create. I can't create something from nothing. I can't, I can't deliver somebody. I can't save somebody. I can't give them uh, new hope. I can't heal them. I can't do any of those things. But I'll tell you what, what God can do, he can save. He can heal. He can deliver. He can set free. He can bring the victory. He can do all the things that we cannot do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The psalmist in another place says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's what David was saying. All oh, that somebody would praise the Lord. David was saying somebody needs to praise the Lord. Now, I give some more reasons for God's people to praise God. Look at verse 5. He says, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. 
Now, I thought about this in many different ways. Somebody would really like to be in church tonight, I think. <laughs> Mine may go off next, actually. I didn't check it. That'd be embarrassing. But I thought about this verse, and I think we need to look at it in two different ways. We need to look at this verse first in correction and then also in comfort. We need to look at verse 5 in correction and also in comfort. So listen to this. God's people are favored, but he will also chasten them. We are favored, but he will also chasten them. So, so listen, David and Israel was favored of God, but when they strayed, God brought correction to them. The favor of the Lord also includes the chastening of the Lord or the correction of the Lord. However, the chastening or that anger is temporary, but his grace is for a lifetime. See, our verse says, his anger endureth but a moment in his favor is life. God's anger is short-lived, but his mercy endures forever. His anger, he will chasten us, but the Bible says the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And it talks about how his mercy is everlasting. His mercy endures forever. So though his anger, he may chasten, he may correct, he may bring you back when you stray, but still that's temporary compared to the grace that lasts a lifetime. That's the first way we need to look at it. See, remember the verse in Hebrews 12, 11, It says this, Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward. That means that there is a limited time there. Afterward. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So the first part of this verse is dealing with, yes, God will chasten, he will correct. If you get off track, he will bring you back. But the anger is temporary, but the favor of the Lord is for life. And that's what's true with Israel. That's what's true with David. Now we look at the other side of it. God's favor brings comfort and joy in a troubled life. See, this is the other part of it. Look at that verse, the second half. It says, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So God is rich in mercy. He is slow to anger. His grace abides forever. And in Christ, we are favored. Remember, the Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. We are complete in him. That means that in Christ, we are favored of God. And in that favor, we get the grace and the mercies of God. And there may be weeping, there may be troubles in our life. But I want you to know, for the believer, the morning is always coming. For the believer, the morning is always coming. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Think about that. Our best day here is going to be our worst day compared to glory. We can have the greatest day ever. Everything could be exactly perfect, but compared to the eternal weight of glory in heaven, our best day here would be our worst day there. So every day, even our good days and our bad days and every day in between for the believers, our morning is coming. There is always a morning on the way for the believer. Hallelujah. See, there's going to be many troubled nights. 
where it seems like the Lord hides his face, and we wonder where he is, but it's only for a moment. God has not forsaken you. There may be some in here tonight wondering if God has forsaken you, but he has not. We have his favor because there's joy coming in the morning. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, weeping may endure for a night, but nights are not forever. Nights are not forever. So if you're despairing tonight, remember that someday the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. The son of righteousness is going to arrive. He's going to rise with healing in his wings. The trouble of life is only for a moment. There's going to come a brighter day for the people of God. We have an eternal morning that is coming soon for God's people. It's of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. See, Jesus understands the night seasons. You know that? Jesus understands the night seasons. You think about the cross, the weeping and the agony of the cross. You think about the difficulty that was there. You think about the suffering and the pain that he endured and the wrath of God, but he took it all on the cross for us. He, was, he despised the shame and the suffering, but there was a joy that was set before him. He despised the pain and the suffering, but there was a joy that was set before him out there on the other side, out there on the other side of the cross. He knew that there was glory that awaited on the other side, and there was a weeping, and there was a sorrow, and there was a pain that was happening on that cross, but he looked ahead, and he said, this night is only going to last so long because there is glory coming in the morning. There was a time where he put, they put him in the tomb three days and three nights. He was in that tomb but on the third resurrection morning Jesus Christ rose from the grave defeating death the night of death was only for a moment but joy came in the morning resurrection morning hallelujah thank you Jesus hallelujah our favor and prosperity must not turn into pride That's the next portion of this. I'm going to try to get it wrapped up here pretty quick. I don't want to wear you fellers out. Look at verse 6. Oh, David, and in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. I'm glad he said it, not me. Uh, it was the Apostle Paul that said, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. And uh, one of the greatest dangers we can have is when everything is going really good. When everything's going really well, when the family's getting along, when your body's healthy, when the bills are paid and the car's running and it starts every time you go out, when everything's going good, that's when the danger is lurking more than ever. Because we get confident in what we have. We get confident in how things are going. And we say, I shall never be moved. But we're like the spokes on a wheel of a car. The ones on top, when the wheel turns, are on the bottom. You may be on top today, but give it just a moment and the wheel's going to turn. 
and your spokes will be on the bottom. And the guys on top will say, ha, I'm doing pretty good now. I shall never be moved. (laughs) That's how it works. And so David says, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. And then David goes in the very next verse, and he tells us about a lesson that he learned. He says in verse 7, Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. It's the exact opposite of what he just said. Lord, by your favor, you made my mountain to stand strong. Now listen to what he says. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. He said, I thought I was doing pretty good, but then all of a sudden, where'd you go? My wheel just turned. (laughs) And he says, I was troubled. You hid your face, and I was troubled. And so then he realizes we're more dependent on God than we even realize in ways that we don't even understand. We are wholly and completely dependent on God in so many ways that we cannot even grasp in our mind. And the moment that we think that we're standing and we're strong and we're doing well is the moment that suddenly things will collapse and we'll say, I don't get it. I thought I would never be moved. And then we learn the lesson, Lord, it's by your strength that you hold us up. Lord, it's been by your strength that you kept us all these years. Lord, it's by your strength that we're here today in this house. Lord, it's by your strength. It's by your power. It's not because any single one of us can do anything, but God, you have done it all. Hallelujah. God's people turn to prayer in times of trouble, and that's what David demonstrates in this next verse. In verse number eight, he says, I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplications. See, when trouble comes, we realize how fragile we are, don't we? We realize we're helpless when our health fails, when we get a bad report at the doctor, when our prosperity turns to poverty, when our wheel turns. We find out that we're not as tough as we think we are, but the people of God have somewhere to go. When tragedy strikes, wherever it may come from, we need something more than ourselves. We need a Savior, and thank God that we have a Savior that is always there that we can run to. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4.16, you know the verse, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So if your situation is bleak, if you're having trouble tonight, if you don't know what's going on in your world, if you can't seem to find the face of God, I say to you tonight, seek the Lord while he may be found because he can be found. And he says, come boldly to the throne of grace, come boldly to that throne that is never going to be shaken. Our whole world may fall apart. We need the one who holds all things together. Our whole world may fall to pieces and we can run to the throne of grace that is never going to be shaken. It stands immovable from now and eternity past and eternity future. God's throne cannot be shaken. And that's where we run to. That's where we find our hope. Amazing. Now listen to David's prayer in his distress, verses 8 through 10. He recalls his prayer. Remember, this is at the dedication. He says, I want you to remember God's intervention in my life. Verses 8 through 10. I cried unto thee, O Lord, 
And unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. David is bringing his petition before the throne of God. And he's also bringing an argument, which I think is interesting. He's, he, his argument's interesting here. He said, he's saying to the Lord, he's, he's basically saying, Lord, I am not done praising you. He's saying, God, I am not done praising you. I am not done worshiping you. I'm not done testifying of your goodness. I'm not done testifying of your mercy and of your love. I am simply not done worshiping and loving and honoring and praising you. God, I am not done. He's saying, I'm feeling like I'm done, but God, I want you to know I am not done. And I want you to hear that, Lord. I want you to know that I'm not done. So David's argument was this. He said, what good does my blood do? What good does it do? He says, is my dust going to praise you? If I croak and I go to ashes and I go to dust, is my dust going to worship you? He's saying, is it going to testify and declare your truth? And David's answer was no, 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 it's not going to. My blood's not going to be, uh, be praising you. My dust isn't going to be praising you. He said, if I die, I'm not going to be doing very much praising. So David was saying, Lord, I feel like I would do a lot more good if I was able to stay alive and not die. Uh, God, I would rather live and not die because I'm simply not done praising you yet. I'm just not done. That was what David's his argument with God. He's saying, this is, this is what I'm asking from you. And it's interesting, but at the end of that, he also realizes, he says in verse 10, hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. So he's saying, God, I'm not done. I want to do more. I'm not done praising. I'm not done worshiping. I've not had enough yet. I would rather live and not die. I would rather continue. I think I could do a whole lot more good if I was to keep going. But I understand that, Lord, it's in your hand. God, be merciful to me. Lord, be my helper. He petitions the throne of God really boldly, doesn't he? But he says at the end of the day, who makes that decision? Lord, you do. And what you decide, well, that's final. But I sure would like to keep going. Amazing prayer, really. And it's really a simple prayer that every one of us, it's going to fit every one of our lives at some point. You realize that. David's prayer here. It's simple prayer. There's nothing impressive about it. It's no fancy words. God, be merciful to me. Lord, be thou my helper. God, be merciful to me. Don't know what to do. Lord, help. A simple prayer. And a simple prayer that God heard. And God answered. The publican prayed the same prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that prayer is good for every one of us. And so now David testifies of God's answer to his prayer in verses 11 and 12. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. On this great day of dedication, David made it all about the Lord. He never said anything about the house. He said, God brought me to where I am today. And he testifies of that prayer. And he testifies of the answer to that prayer. I find that amazing that David took this opportunity to testify of the glory of God. He went from hiding in the fields and hiding in the caves to now his own palace as a king. God has been merciful. To see where he come from, to see what has happened. And the amazing thing is that Jesus does the same thing for us. He brings us out of darkness. He, he turns our grieving and mourning and sin and sorrow, and he forgives us, and he gives us, he, he justifies us by his blood, and he washes us clean, and he turns our mourning into dancing. He, he, doesn't, just, he doesn't just ease the pain. He says, I'm going to take that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of that, but I'm going to transform it into dancing, the opposite end of the spectrum. And, and he says, he's, he's, he's taking my sackcloth, my ashes, my grieving clothes, and he's replaced those with the garment of praise, with the righteous garments of Christ Jesus. We're now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So we cast off the old dirty garments and we put on the new, which is Christ Jesus. We put on his righteousness and his joy and his blessings and his grace. And we don't have to live in that old way. But now we have Christ Jesus and his righteousness. Isn't that amazing how God does the same thing for us? And then finally, I said all that to say this, in the end, God gets the glory. That's what it says in verse 12. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee or to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Why would God intervene in our circumstance? Why would God save us? Why would God heal us? Why would God deliver us? Why would God set us free from addiction? Why would God do these things for us? Because of His grace and because it's for His glory. Because God says, they couldn't do it, but I can. And when they see us and what God has done, our glory praises him. When someone says, I'm impressed with what God has done in your life, you know what that's saying? God is saying, I did that. And their glory is my glory. You see how that works? That's what David is saying. When you see me standing here, 
in this place as the king over all of Israel, over this unified kingdom, when you see my glory, I want you to know that my glory is simply here because God did it in me, and my glory is to praise his glory for what he's done. That's what Christ does in us. He saves us. He delivers us. He sets us free. And now we're born again. And God says, what I have done in them. When people see the change, we are giving God glory because God has done something that only God could do. Hallelujah. Gayla, you can go ahead and come on. I I have just a few more thoughts about this. There are seven thou hast in this passage, or you have done these things. There are seven of them. And David wanted everybody to remember this. And I'm going to tell you what these are. In verse 1, he says, thou has lifted me up. That's like salvation. In number 2, he says, thou has healed me. That's the new heart, sanctification. Number 3, in verse 3, he says, thou has brought up my soul from the grave. That's that resurrection of life. Number 4, you find it in verse 3, thou has kept me alive. You have preserved me. Number five is found in verse seven. Thou has made my mountain to stand strong. You've established me, God. You've done it. Number six, verse 11. It says, thou has turned for me my mourning into dancing. That's exaltation. That's giving you that victory and that new life. Number seven. Thou has put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. That's in verse 11. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the joy of the Lord where you're walking in victory and the power and the anointing, the Spirit of God. And David says, thou hast done these things for me. And he stood on the steps of that that palace. He didn't say a thing about that beautiful place, but he said a lot of things about that beautiful God that had transformed him and his glory was God's glory. So David would say in light of all these things that thou hast done, the last part of verse 12, O Lord my God, I will give thee thanks, thanks unto thee forever. He's praising God with an everlasting thankfulness tonight. And here's the thought that I want to leave with you. What Jesus did at Calvary is for our good and for his glory. We didn't deserve it, but in a show of his great love and mercy and grace, he came and gave himself for us. We could not save ourselves, but God did what we could not do. That's the remembrance of his holiness. God, you did what I can't do. And that's why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, let me read this to you, starting at verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in us in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them in the ages to come. Our glory, we're glorified in Christ, will testify of Jesus. And we will be able to join David in the same way and say, Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. There was a, a poem that Charles Spurgeon had uh, in his writings, and it says this, I will praise him in life. I will praise him in death. I will praise him as long as he lendeth me breath. And say, when the death dew lays cold on my brow, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus, it's now. In the end, God gets the glory. What about you? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you let him change you? If you haven't, tonight is the night you can do that. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I didn't realize how serious my sin was, but I realize I've sinned against you. I repent of my sins, I turn from them. I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe that you were buried and that you rose again on the third day. And I'm asking you to save me, to forgive me, to change me. And on the authority of God's word, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if that's you, do it tonight. If that's you watching online, do it tonight. Whenever you're watching, do it tonight. Do it now. If you want to give God praise, the altars are open tonight. If you have a need, you can come to these altars. We're going to have a, a song for just a few minutes. I want to encourage you to pray. Thank God. Remember His goodness. Stand with us tonight. Thank you, Jesus.